be here once again worshiping alongside with y'all. Um, if you could please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 29. This is going to be a little bit of a switch, but that's going to be our reading um, scripture from the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 29. It reads, Therefore, having put, a, having put away falsehood, let, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give, that it may give good grace to those who hear. God bless the reading of his word. Our reading scripture this uh, for our sermon is actually just the few verses right before, 17 to 24. And the reason I did it is because I think it's going to give us context for what Paul is trying to communicate to the Ephesians. So our passage this morning is Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. It reads, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you have heard. I'm sorry, that is not the way you learned Christ Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. God bless the reading of his word. Our key verse this morning is verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. This is actually one of the strangest phrases in the New Testament. Why? Because in the whole New Testament, the word learn here is never used in relation to people. It's always used in relation to things. Let me give you an example. In the New Testament, it's common to hear, you know, you learn instruction. You learn the will of God, or you learn parables. But you never actually have a person as the object of that learning. It's really strange. It's only in our passage where we have Jesus, or a person in general, as the object of what we learn. And it's seemingly a little bit of an awkward phrasing, because even in English, we add some sort of clarifying word. We add, I don't know, we learn about such and such, or we learn of such and such. But Paul says, strictly here, directly, That is not the way you learned Christ. So what do we do with this phrase? What do we do with this passage? Did Paul mess up? Is this just some sort of misprint or a slip from Paul? Well, no. What we're going to learn this morning, that to learn Christ, it's more than just acknowledging mere facts about the life of Jesus. It's more than just acknowledging that Jesus did certain things, but rather to learn Christ means to experience him personally, to experience him personally intimately in such a way that your life is transformed. And that leads us into our passage. 
So, verse 17, Paul says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. I want to pause there for a second, because it's a little bit confusing. Why does Paul say no longer walk as the Gentiles do when the Ephesians themselves are Gentiles? The word Gentile simply, simply means to be non-Jewish. He's talking to a non-Jewish community and he's telling them, don't walk like the Gentiles do. It's almost as awkward as someone saying, Houston, don't live like Texans. You're like, how, how does that work? You know, culture or history, it all revolves around, you know, this state. So when Paul is telling the, the, the Ephesians to not walk like the Gentiles, it's almost like a question comes up. Do we, when we become Christians, do we somehow lose our cultural identity? Or do we somehow lose our culture when we become Christians? And for Paul, it's a weird yes and no answer that I'll explain uh, in a second. In verses 17 to 19, what Paul is explaining to the Ephesians that the, the difference between the church and the world, that the difference between this, this community right here and those outside is not a mere preference of lifestyle. It's not a mere preference of religion, but rather it's a difference of belonging to a distinct spiritual reality. You know, it's interesting because the difference between this community and those outside isn't that you go to church on Sundays while others play like golf or soccer or, or just watch football or something like that. The difference between you and those outside is not just that you read a holy book and others don't. The difference between you and those outside isn't just that, you know, you vote one way while others vote a different way. But once again, the difference at its core is that you belong to a completely different spiritual reality. Paul here is like showing us what's behind the curtain. He's showing us that the dominion of darkness, the dominion of ignorance, sin, and death stand in the background of a life without Christ. Remember, the Christian phenomenon this time was new. This was the first time Gentiles are included into this special community. And he's explaining to these new Christians to this new community, that the difference that they are, the, the reality that they enjoy, is not just a mere preference of lifestyle, not a mere preference of religion, but rather a completely different spiritual reality. So how did that look like? The ancient world was actually a very rough world, a world full of idolatry, of adultery, witchcraft. There was no care for the poor, no care for the slave, no care for women, for orphans, or for the widow. And this was simply the cultural norm. This was simply the norm. But Paul reveals what's behind the curtain, that there are dark spiritual realities operating in a background, that a life without Christ is a life that's dark, that's alienated from the life of God, that's hard-hearted. But why does Paul say this? Is he saying this to somehow intimidate the Ephesians into good living? No. He's actually doing this to contrast the realities that the Ephesians enjoy. It's a completely different lifestyle. It's a completely different reality that you enjoy. This is, the Christian re- this is not the Christian reality, Paul is saying. This is not you. That leads us to verse 20. But you did not learn Christ in this way. Peter, Peter O'Brien, a, a scholar commenting on this passage, I think summarizes it very well. He says, learning Christ means welcoming him as a living person and being shaped by his teaching. This is what makes the Ephesians different. The fact that they've placed their faith in a Jewish Messiah 
doesn't mean that they somehow embraced, you know, some sort of abstract concept or someone who's very far away. But rather, what Paul is telling them, the fact that you've placed your faith in Christ means that you've learned Christ. And to learn Christ means that you are experiencing him in the most personal and intimate way possible, such that your life is transformed. And it's beautiful because that same message applies to us. The fact that you've placed your faith in Jesus 2,000 years after you know, his ministry here does not mean you somehow place your faith in someone who's far away, someone who's abstract or not real, but rather what Paul is saying here is that if you've placed your faith in Christ, you've learned him. You don't learn about him, or you don't learn merely learn of him, you've learned him. You've experienced him, you have experienced him intimately and personally. But how does that look like? It sounds nice. Okay, I've learned Christ, but how does that look like? And Paul gives us three statements of what it, what it means to have learned Christ. In verses 22 to 24, these are the three statements. Put off the old self, the renewal of your mind, and to put on the new self. Now here I want to kind of make a, a clarifying statement. Because in, in, in the original language, these three statements can either be taken as a command, do these things, or they can be taken as a statement of fact. And what I want to kind of encourage you this morning is to understand these three statements. To put off the old self, the renewal of your mind, and to put on the new self as statements of fact. So starting with verse 22. Instead of taking it as a command, it's better understood as you have put off the old self. Because as a command, brothers and sisters, that's actually a very impossible thing to do. If I could put off the old self, I would have done it many, 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 many years ago. But I can't. And that's, that's Paul's point in Ephesians 2, that we, outside of Christ, are in a state of death. We can't renew ourselves. Corrupt people can't renew themselves. Dead people can't make themselves alive. But someone else can. Someone from the outside. Christ. So this passage here is better, is better um, understood as a statement of fact. You have put off the old self. When? Verse 20. When you learned Christ, you put off the old self. Now, I put off, I made a question saying, what does it mean to put off the old self? Does it mean that you somehow lose your personality, your, your national identity, or your culture? And I said it was a yes and no. And this is what I mean by it. Let me give you an example. In Mexico, certain parts of Mexico, there's a, there's a weird mix of like Catholicism and, and pagan indigenous religion. For example, if you're looking for guidance or advice or spiritual anything, you seek a witch doctor or you seek a witch and interestingly, they appeal, this witch or this witch doctor appeal to the saints. They appeal to the Virgin Mary to do whatever you requested them to do. It's a weird synthesis, and it's actually super common, and it's a cultural norm. So this was like the norm. You, you, you're sick, you need advice, you go to them. So when you have converts, you know, Mexicans who become Christians, what do they do with this type of practice? Well... They recognize that it's wrong. They recognize that it's evil, that it's only God brings that healing, only God brings that guidance. And what do they do? They abandon it. But here's the question. Do they cease to be Mexican when they become Christians? Well, the answer is no. But rather, they see their own Mexican identity in light of Christ. And what happens? And they allow him to transform them. And that's exactly what's happening to the Ephesians. They don't cease to be Ephesians. They don't, seek, they don't stop being Roman, but rather what happens? 
Christ is now the lens, or rather the filter, by which their own Roman and Ephesian identity is established, is lived out. And this looks different for everyone else, because everyone else has a different, you want to put old self. Yes, we're all dead in our sins and trespasses. Yes, we have an old self, but that kind of looks differently, practically, for each one of us. But in Christ, you don't stop being American. You don't stop being Texan. You don't stop being a woman. You don't stop being a man. You don't stop being yourself. But Christ transforms you on a fundamental level in such a way that what? You see all these things in light of Christ, in light of the living person that's transforming you day to day. So then for Paul, what he's explaining to the, to the Ephesians here, that you have put off the old self. It means that darkness, ignorance, sin, and death no longer define you. Instead, what defines us now as Christians is a new self. That leads us to verse 24. So when Paul says, to put off the old means what? To put on the new. And like I said, this is a statement of fact. Because if you could, if you could make yourself new, if you could clothe yourselves with the new creation, you'll be frustrated. This is something only God, we can't make ourselves new, only God can. So as a, as a fact, you have been clothed with the new self. It's a very interesting passage, and actually an interesting statement from Paul, because oftentimes, at least me, I don't know about you, but we take an approach or an attitude or a mindset to the Christian life where if only I'm better, if only I was holier, if only I did more Christian things, then God can love me. Or maybe God will care more if I do certain things. And we sometimes take that attitude. But Paul here completely dispels it. He says that's not the case. The moment you place your faith in Christ, the moment you've learned Christ, you embrace him as the living person that he is, and what happens? He clothes you. You don't clothe yourself. He clothes you. To learn Christ means that you experience his victory over sin and death. Believers, like you and me, experience the beginnings of the new creation, such that verse 24 applies to us, that we are created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, God renews his image in you in such a way that in Christ he sees you, each and every one of you who've learned Christ, as righteous and holy. And that leads us to verse 23. The last of statements. So I know I skipped the order. I know that the order is put off the old self to renew the spirit of your mind and then to put on the new self, but I skipped it on purpose. So the last one, you are being renewed. Verse 23. Like I said, this is a statement of fact, but this is actually a very unique statement. Because in the original language, the other two statements are in the past tense. You have put off the old self. You have been clothed. But guess which one is in the present tense? This one. You are being renewed in the spirit of your mind it's ongoing it's right now it's like paul understands that we as christians experience this already and not yet tension what i mean by that we i like to phrase it in a question how can i say that i'm a christian how can i say that i have put off the old self that i have put on the new self and still struggle with sin Pretty sure we've all asked ourselves that at some moment in our lives. How can I say that I have put off the old self and still struggle with sin? And it's interesting. At least growing up, you know, sometimes you hear these stories or these cool testimonies, I guess, of people who used to be the worst of the worst. 
and now they're the best of the best. This is radical change. And like growing up, I'm like, that's not me. I mean, I grew up in a Christian home. I was, I grew up okay. I wasn't that disobedient. I'm like, is Christ really working in me when I don't see that radical change? And it's frustrating because when I look at my own self and I see, well, I still struggle with this. I still struggle with that. Is God really working? And what is Paul saying? Yes, you are being renewed. It's interesting. We sometimes focus on what hasn't changed rather than what is being changed. If you're here today, brothers and sisters, that means God's at work in you. Um, I have a story. Um, my grandma from my dad's side, we call her Mother Esperanza because she said grandma made her feel too old. Um, she, she had a very hard life, and consequently she was a very hard woman. She was a single mother of 11. Okay, yeah, single mother of 11 in Mexico. Very, very, very hard life, very, very hard woman. I was scared to death of this woman. And she used to make fun of my dad uh, when he became a Christian. My dad became a Christian when he was 21, got married at 27. And when he had us, he took us to church, did all the, the, all the Christian things that a parent does. And my grandma used to say, you're brainwashing them. And she used to make fun of them and this and that. And we couldn't say anything because she was like the matriarch of the family, right? But what can only be explained as pure miracle she converted when she was 70 years old, all right? We used to go to a Baptist church, you know, the famous altar call, and she raised her hand. We were all super scared, and she, she did the prayer, and it was genuine and everything. And my, the point of the story is that I wish I could tell you that she changed 180. But no, old habits die very hard. She was still a very hard woman. But the one change that was most evident is that she went from hating God and hating the church to developing a love for God and a love for the church. God's Spirit is at work renewing you even when you don't see radical change. Right? God was at work in my grandmother, even though she wasn't you know, the, the person I would love her to be, but I still love her though. But God was still at work. If you've learned Christ, if you place your faith in Christ, God is at work. And that leads us to our application. Everything we've read thus far, brothers and sisters, is the gospel. Newness and renewal are not things you can do. Those aren't things that we can enact. Those aren't things we can't do. That's something only God works, something God can do. It also shows us that a life without Christ is not just a mere different lifestyle choice. I know that sometimes emphasized out there, you know, my choice, my this, my that. But it's interesting. Paul kind of opens the curtain. He says, like, no, there's actually underlying spiritual realities at work that we just don't see that a life without God, a life specifically without Christ, is a life that's stark, that's far away from life. But that, that's not the point. The point is that Christ offers that life, offers that fellowship, and offers that salvation. If you've never embraced Christ, this is what Christ offers, life, fellowship, and salvation. Now for the church, that same gospel is your comfort. Because like I said, if renewal and if restoration isn't something you do and it's something God does and there's rest in that sometimes we're like all right all I have to do is enough willpower to do Christian things and then I can be sanctified or I could be a better Christian and what does Paul say no this is God's work not yours secondly like I said if you've learned Christ he is working even when we don't feel it even when we struggle even when we fail that is the way we've learned Christ and thirdly, what I want us to see, it's interesting, that statement, the way we learn Christ, this actually becomes an interesting standard for the Christian life. 
And there's a reason why I, I, I had you, I, we, we read uh, verses 25 to 29, because it seems like Paul goes a little bit practical. What does it mean to learn Christ? And he gives examples, right? I want you to work, don't steal. I want you to speak truth. I want you to speak graciously. But if you notice, these are actually very general statements. You've probably heard, I don't know, I, I grew up in the Spanish-speaking world, so this is actually very new to me, but like the what would Jesus do statements is actually... A few of my friends used it. Sometimes they were super cringe because it was like in sports context. But there is some truth behind that in the sense that Christ is our example for truth, obedience, and love. But here's the most important thing. That statement, the way we've learned Christ, is a little bit more dynamic than we think about. Let me, let me explain what that means. You don't have to make the choices that I make every day, nor do, ha- do I have to make the choices that you make every day. So how is it that we can live as Christians in completely different contexts? And the impulse point is, well, since you've embraced not an abstract idea or not a person who's far away, but rather you've embraced the living Christ who guides you every day, who leads you every day, who's the filter by which you encounter and interact, you know, and make your everyday decisions, that's how we could live the Christian life despite having, you know, completely different contexts. Paul doesn't actually give us an exhaustive list of rules for how to live the Christian life every second. But he does give us this standard. How is it that you have learned Christ? At work, why should I live a life of integrity? With my spouse, why should I treat them with respect and dignity? Why should I be selfless? Or at school, why should I be honest? You know, Or online, why should my interactions with other people be respectful at all? Why? Well, Paul has the answer. How is it that you have learned Christ? And that is a question for all of us. So in conclusion, brothers and sisters, you have learned Christ personally and intimately. He has worked in you, and he is working in you. And you can, be, and you can rest and be strengthened in that reality. Amen? Amen. Amen. With that, let us pray. Our Father who are in heaven, we come before you recognizing that, we, um, that you're a good God, that you're a gracious God, and that we struggle every day. We fail. You know... Um, our every struggle, you know, our every challenge that we face uh, daily, and we just ask for your help. We're thankful because you, you're not far away, but you're close, and we ask that you continue to renew us and continue to strengthen us, comfort us when we fail, and pick us up when we're on the floor, on the ground. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.